Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography, the podcast where real couples like us candidly navigate the journey to a healthier, more connected life. Join us as we share personal experiences, expert insights, and practical tips to help you thrive in your relationships and break free. Together, let's repair and build a rock-solid connection, becoming a couple that can overcome any challenge. I'm Zach. And I'm Darcy. We're an LDS couple who struggled with unwanted pornography in our marriage for many years. What was once our greatest struggle and something we thought would destroy us has become our greatest blessing and triumph. Our hope is that as you listen to our podcast each week, you'll be filled with hope and healing and realize that you too can thrive beyond pornography and create the marriage you have always desired. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Pornography. We're so glad you're here and we believe in you. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Thrive Beyond Pornography. I'm your host, Darcy, and Zach's here today. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) More like Zach's the host and I'm here today, but we switched it up. We switched it up just for you guys. All right, so this Thursday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, we are going to have a webinar. We'd love to have you there. Uh, You can sign up at zachspafford.com forward slash free call, and that link will be in the show notes. Cool. So tonight we're going to talk about why users don't want to know and what to do instead. So if you have a pornography struggle in your life, either as a spouse, an ecclesiastical leader, or the person who chooses pornography, you've probably run into this particular issue. I ask my clients every single day, can you tell me what happened the last time you chose porn? The most common answer they give is, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but what's clear to me over the many conversations that I've had is that those who are struggling because they choose pornography contrary to their moral values is that they don't all have degenerative brain diseases. I'm reasonably certain I'm not working with a bunch of people who have Alzheimer's. So how can this be such a common refrain? Why is it that these... People, the men and the women that I work with, don't know what's going on. When the fact is that they're the ones who are actually engaging in the the activity, when they're the ones participating in this behavior. I know over the years when I would ask Zach, like, hey, what happened? He'd be like, I don't know what happened. Or it just happened, right? Like those were the very common answers that would, would come up when I would ask him what happened. It was a bit frustrating, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, just a little. Yeah. Well, there's actually a really good reason why we say I don't know when it comes to our behavior with this particular issue and with other issues wherein we are not living according to our, our value structure. We're not being the person that we would think that we would want to be. In a series of experiments conducted at the University of Chicago, my hometown, participants were asked to evaluate the likelihood of themselves or others to do various moral or immoral behaviors. So they were asked, okay, if you have a moral or immoral behavior ahead of you, what's your likelihood of doing that? The people who responded did not rate themselves more likely to do good. So basically they didn't say that they would do good any better or more often than other respondents. But they regularly assumed that they were more likely than others to avoid immoral acts. So they deemed their choices, they deemed themselves more likely to act positively or appropriately than others. 
They also deemed instances of others' unethical behavior as more extreme and memorable than their own choices. So when they saw someone doing something bad, that was more extreme than if they themselves did that very same bad behavior. Very interesting. All of us believe in our own inherent goodness. And when our behavior does not reflect that sense of self that we believe to be who we are, we tend to both discount the fact and distance ourselves from them. I, I don't really know anyone who has not done this sort of thing. So think about when we drive and maybe we cut somebody off. Most of us generally justify our behavior. You know, it's like, oh, I, I had to get in or I, you know. That they, person they, was speeding up and wasn't letting they me weren't in. weren't letting me in, right? We're justifying what we chose. And we say that it wasn't that bad. And then we actively try to put that incident behind us as quickly as possible. We try to mitigate it as part of our memory structure, especially if we feel bad. When, however, someone cuts us off, we many times ascribe malicious intent to the other person. We think they did it on purpose. We think that they were out to get us in, in, a, in a way, right? And in a real and meaningful way, this may be happening in your head around pornography. For those who are choosing pornography, the act of distancing ourselves from the behavior, putting it behind us as quickly as possible, and seemingly scrubbing our memory of the incident is an act of self-preservation in a way. It helps us maintain our sense of self in the face of behavior that contradicts our belief that we are good. Or that we make good choices. I think it's also really interesting how the research showed how when we see someone else doing something and we don't like it, we will assume we would never do anything like that. This really speaks to our desire to see ourselves in a certain way. People want to see themselves as good. And when we choose pornography, there is a tendency to do our best to distance ourselves from the choice because it contradicts the sense of self that we have and that we would like to maintain about ourselves. Well, and I think culturally we have so such a strong narrative around uh, those who look at pornography. And so I think it it's even more important to kind of distance ourselves from that behavior mm. so that we can still maintain ourselves around it. Yeah, we were talking to a couple who came down this last weekend, and we were talking about what it looks like when you get divorced as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And no matter what has gone on in the relationship, if you can say as a, as a wife or as a spouse, my partner was viewing pornography and that's why we got divorced, that's almost a get-out-of-jail-free ticket. You have no responsibility any longer in that relationship for any bad choices that ever occurred. There's no sense that there's any culpability. And so you can see how as maybe a man, let's take it just from that perspective, as a man who might choose pornography, I might want to distance myself from that behavior as much as possible because it places all the culpability on me for everything that ever might go wrong in our relationship from that very simple perspective. Now, that's not to say in, by any stretch of the imagination that the wife is responsible for the choices of the husband. That is simply to say that once that card is played, the card of he looked at porn and therefore we got divorced, regardless of any of the behavior, any of the other behavior within the relationship, the, the wife in general is absolved of any culpability. And that's, 
that's kind of a commentary on why why we don't like to view our our reality. We when we see ourselves as the reason why our relationship broke up. Not because our not necessarily because we are 100% at fault, but when when it comes to pornography, we become 100% at fault. It it's mental preservation to push ourselves away from that as quickly and easily or as quickly and and as efficiently as possible. We just don't like to see ourselves in that light is I guess what I'm really saying there. Mm -hmm. I can see that. My entire life, I had brown hair and for years and years and years and years, because I started getting gray hair when I was 16. So I would dye my hair and color over my gray and I would work to maintain my brown hair that I loved. And I had a sense of self that was not reflected in my hair color. In, in my mind, I was not someone who had old lady gray hair, right? <laughs> and so for years, I worked really hard to maintain that. And it got to a point where I had to color my hair like every two weeks if I didn't want to have the ugly skunk line going down the, the center of my head. And I would constantly like, Zach, I need you to dye my hair because my gray hair is coming in, right? So I'm sure you can imagine that and you've seen that you know when you walk into a restaurant and there's a lady that's clearly has gray hair but she is still dying it pretending that she does not have gray hair um, in a way this is like what's going on for us when we fail to see our behavior and we're unable to deal with it in a meaningful way and and so I, I guess I would also say this goes to um you know, people who have lip fillers and cheek fillers. What about, uh, do you, was it Tori Waters' dad who had the... Uh, no, no, <laughs> no Whose dad was it that had the, he literally had like a cinnamon roll of super long yeah, hair Yeah, so my, my, my friend Carrie in high school, oh, Carrie, that's we right. used to, her dad would drive us to volleyball practice and we would be in the back just like going crazy because what he would do, he was totally bald, but he would grow, he had like the side hair, you know, and around the back. And he would grow out his right side, and then he would basically brush it on like a cinnamon roll, like a twist, <laughs> all the way to cover his entire head. And then he would spray it and plaster it to his head so it looked like he wasn't bald. But us girls in the back were like, dude, you ain't, you ain't fooling anyone. Right. So I think we can see that with people who have lip fillers and cheek fillers, right? Like, they're not fooling anyone. We all know when we see people who have these fillers that it's not real. And so, well, I think it's important to recognize that we do this because we want to feel a sense of ourselves that is different maybe than the the person that we are. Well, yeah, we want to feel more youthful. We want to mm -hmm. feel young and beautiful and you know, at our prime, and so we do yeah. things like that to maintain. What's the big maintain... thing now in Hollywood? I think it's called buckle fat removal. Do you know what that is? It's no. where they take the fat out of your cheeks, and they make it so you look a little bit more gaunt. I'm squeezing my cheeks as I say that, so Darcy <laughs> can see. Got it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think that this is, you know, we we what we're all doing, all of us, is we're not seeing ourselves clearly it's almost a willful blindness to our choices. And I don't think any of us is saying, hey, don't go get lip fillers and don't dye your hair. That's not really the point. Although, you know, especially for dudes, I feel like, man, if you're going gray or you're going bald, just, I've always told Darcy this, when I go bald, 
I'm just going to shave it. I don't care. And I just and, tell him he has to work out more and get bigger <laughs> muscles then. Cause... So, I, so I look like Mr. Uh, Mr. Clean. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, I think, what we're all dealing with. We, we all deal with it at some level within our lives. So how can we mitigate this issue as we reflect back on our choices? Yeah, I think this is really, when we talk about this, I think a good place to look at this from is the three stages of cognitive agency. And I think that'll help us understand, at least in part, how to approach this subject in a meaningful way. When we think about ourselves from a perspective of being integrated, one of the key issues is how we see ourselves. We have to see the whole person. We have to see both of us. Do we see our whole self? And can we handle the reality of our whole person? Or do we avoid seeing the whole person that we are working to hide the meaningful parts of us that don't fit a particular narrative in order to maintain an illusion of our goodness without fault? Well, I think this is really hard to do because I, for so many of us, we feel like if people truly knew who we really were, were, or if our spouse really knew everything about us, maybe they wouldn't still love me. Maybe they would reject me. And I think that's possible, right? Real, true, meaningful intimacy is knowing what everything there is to know about the other person. And I think within, within spousal relationships, this is actually a little bit harder than externally. Because, you know, Andy Marks, who, you know, you've heard her story on the podcast, she is a great example of sharing the reality of what is going on for her with people. You know, she said the first time she ever told somebody, her Relief Society president was driving her home from an activity and dropping her off. And she said, you know, if there's anything you ever need to talk about. And Andy was like, well, let me tell you this story about how I choose pornography and why that's a problem for me. And this lady just loved her. She loved her more. She loved her more deeply. She was willing to hear that truth. And knowing that, Andy was able to start down the path of doing some of this work. But I think for us, especially in, in the spousal relationship, that can be very difficult. If our partner doesn't know anything about what's going on for us, that might be a huge hurdle to get over. And if they do know what's going on for us, they might still be treating it like it's about them. Well, I, I think it's more that it's a lot harder because there's emotions involved and there's deeper, meaningful relationship aspects right when it's a marriage versus a friend or a really a random relief society president that you're in the car with totally and i think it's important to say to recognize that this isn't to say that we aren't good people if we choose pornography and that we are somehow irredeemable i think it's important to say that when we can talk about these things out loud that doesn't make them like own us it is however I think really important to be clear about this, that who we are and the choices that we make, even when those choices mean that our sense of goodness is challenged, needs to be vocalized, needs, needs to be seen in a, in a real and meaningful way. You know, you think about a basketball player. Basketball player has, you know, if they have a bad night and they miss all their free throws, that doesn't mean that they aren't a capable, talented basketball player. It does, however, mean that taking a look at what happened in an objective way will assist them in improving on their ability to resolve their issues that are presenting at the free throw line. I think it's important to go back to what you said earlier about how it doesn't make you a bad person. Because I, 
I think it's important to remember that every single human out there has both good and bad in them. Right. And we all do things that don't align with our values in one way or another. Every single human out there. And so I just feel like whoever's listening needs to know that, that just because you do do something that is contrary to who you want to be, you're not alone in that and that every single person does something that they don't agree with. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Okay, now back to the basketball analogy. Uh, This is why basketball players have coaches and why having someone who can help them review their choices is helpful. Without that help, you might keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Whereas when you have help, that shift will likely come more quickly. So this weekend, my daughter had a volleyball tournament on both Friday and Saturday. And so I watched a ton and tons and tons of volleyball. And there is one, their setter on their team really, really struggles to get her serves over. And so I I just had been watching her because she never gets um, subbed out because she's the setter. She always is serving. And I would just watch her serve into the net over and over and over again. And And I started to see what was going on. And so towards the end of the day, there were like two games left. And I was really close to where the girls were serving um, because that was the only place to sit. And so I would just tell this girl every time, make sure you do a good toss, nice high toss, and then just hit it hard. You got it. And I just kept encouraging her. And the last two games, she got over like half of her serves, which since the rest of the day and the day before she hit all the serves in, it was cool to see how me telling her, like, make sure your toss is nice and high and, and hit it hard and straight. You got it. And encouraging her, she was able to get some serves over. That's pretty awesome. I didn't know. This is a two, totally new story to me because <laughs> we hadn't talked about that, but that's pretty cool. And I think it's I think it's important to see that, you know, if that person was saying, well, I don't know why I can't get my serves over. She probably believed she didn't know why she could get her serves over. And when we act like we don't know or can't see what we've been doing, having a coach work through that self-blindness is helpful because it makes us face the facts, work through the problem, and start to see ourselves more holistically. Well, and what was interesting is as I watched her throughout the day, I saw her um, demeanor just get lower and lower every time she just continued to hit her serve into the net. And there were times where it was like, didn't even go to the net, you know, it just was like under the net. And she just, oh, her, her, um, I could just see her confidence just keep getting lower and lower. And I think that that can be how it is when you keep choosing porn over and over and over again, right? Your, your, your um, mindset and your, how you feel about yourself and your demeanor gets lower and lower and lower and you become more hopeless and less like I can do this. And it was cool just having, when I was able to encourage her and and coach her on what she was doing wrong, when she got those serves over and she came back to the line to serve another ball, I was like, good job, you did it, do it again, you got it. Like, it was like the first time I saw her smile the entire two days. Um, So it was really cool. That's pretty cool. I, I think it's really important, especially when you need a coach to be able to listen to them. I mean, that girl needed a coach, and her coach, 
you know, she's got. Well, to be honest, her coach has kind of backed off on her serving because she's like, you know, she's in every game. She's playing every every play. You know, she's tired. And so I just I get it. I'm not going to I'm not going to push her on it. Right. Um, but for me, I wasn't like pushing her. I was just like encouraging her and giving her some pointers and it worked. So, you know, and that might be a great analogy for how sometimes it's not it's the person to help you do this isn't your spouse, you know, because sometimes sometimes they're too close to it. Sometimes it's too much. And being able to hear that extra outside voice can be, I think, super meaningful. Yeah. And and it's really important. So getting back to pornography, I think it's really important to understand that the reason we don't want to know and why we say I don't know is simple. It's an act of self-preservation emotionally and mentally. We're working to preserve our sense of self in order to not upset the balance that we've struck in our own lives that we utilize to see ourselves as a good person. What we do instead, I think, is a different matter. So if you're, if you're willing to make the change necessary, one of the things that you might do is simply write down or say out loud to yourself or someone else what's actually happening for you and, in, and, and take a look at that timeline before you're choosing pornography and visualize it, see it in a meaningful way, and talk about it openly. I'm going to just throw this out there yeah. because the other day we were talking about like confessing sins yeah, and, and like verbalizing it, mm-hmm. you know, you looked up the, like how Jewish, yeah, so the Jewish the, culture, um, yeah. does confession. We, we were looking up confession to be honest. So in the, in the Judeo Christian world, so that's the post Jesus world of confession. We have a very strong tradition, both in Catholicism and Protestantism and then, of course, within the Restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of going to someone, an ecclesiastical leader, and telling them, this is what I did. But interestingly, we went and we looked at the the Jewish tradition, and they don't have a go-to-the-rabbi and tell him what it is that's going on for me. They have a go-tell-God directly. And as we were reading through this, one of the things that it said was, God doesn't need you to tell him what you've done, right? He knows. He's omniscient. He already knows what it is that you've done. The act of saying what it is that's going on, the act of confessing, is about you making that thing known to yourself, making it real to you so you can observe it objectively. And the example I like to use of this is, I don't know if you've ever written a paper in school, college, high school, whatever, and you think, oh, I've got this, I've got this down. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly how I'm going to deal with this. I know exactly what I'm going to write. And you go to write the paper, and as you're writing it, you realize it's garbage. <laughs> I know this happened for me a lot. Maybe it never happens for you, Darcy. Never happened for Darcy. She's shaking her head. And here's the thing. When we get it out of our head, it takes on some entirely different meaning. And allowing it to be on a paper in an objective way allows us to be able to acknowledge the facts objectively, seeing what actually happens mentally, emotionally, and physically when we choose pornography. Doing this has to be a facts-based observational perspective that can be invaluable in learning who we are. And two points I want to make here. Saying it or writing it down can be crucial in, in making it real. 
if we just keep it in our head and we think about it, there, there's not the same power in dealing with the issues. And we have less perspective than if we put it outside of us in some way. And I think that goes, you know, if you look at goal setting, right? They always talk about make sure you write it down. Like, write it down on paper. Make it real. Because if it's just a list of things you have in your head, your likelihood of succeeding at reaching those goals are very, very low. But when you actually put it down on paper, you are, like, physically committing to do it on a different level than if you just think about doing it. Right. And and I think that's essential. The other thing that I would just ask you to do as you go through this exercise is to be objective and just talk about the facts. A lot of times we want to use judgmental language to describe what's happening. And I'd like you to instead try to be as factual as possible. So, for example, instead of saying, I search for dirty pictures, try, I search for images of women in bikinis. Just be as matter of fact about what it is that you're looking at as you possibly can. Because in doing that, then we, we again, we make it real instead of, judgmental. So be as clear and objective about what choices it is that you're making as you can be. Again, it might be helpful to have a coach who you can work through this with if you find yourself getting stuck and not making the progress that you want to make or if you just feel like you can't really see clearly what it is that you are doing and why you're doing it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And this is really about gathering facts and seeing them plainly rather than beating yourself up or trying to make yourself feel bad, which is a lot of what many of us do when we think about our pornography struggle. We spend a lot of time beating ourselves up, even though what, we, what would be better is addressing the issue in a direct way. You know, it's interesting. I, I talk to a lot of men, and they all, at, at work, they all solve problems. I don't know anybody who doesn't go to work and solve problems all day, every day. And... If what we did at work was we beat ourselves up for the problems that were happening, we'd never solve anything. Whereas most of us, we get in and we say, what went wrong? What actually happened? What are the facts so I can deal with XYZ issue at work? Try using that same mentality, curiosity and a desire to understand. All right, my friends. This has been an awesome conversation. We love talking to you guys about porn. I know it seems like a weird idea, but <laughs> it's really our favorite thing to do. And we hope that we can share this message and that you can share this message with anybody who needs it. Please. Which is pretty much about 85% of people. So Yeah, statistically <laughs> speaking. So please feel free to share that. Please feel free to you know write us a review. If you guys want us to come and speak in your ward or for your youth or any of it, we would love to do that. We do it for free because we love this conversation. All right, my friends, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Thrive Beyond Pornography. If you're seeking guidance and support to overcome pornography for good and begin creating a thriving life beyond it, check out my free webinar, How to Overcome Pornography with Skills That Actually Work. You'll learn practical, proven skills guided by an expert coach who has personally overcome pornography. Whether you're getting started for just yourself or along with your spouse, Darcy and I can teach you the tools that will help you put your life on the right path for you. Be sure to check out the show notes for a direct link. And if you could take a moment to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, it would mean the world to us. Your reviews play a significant role in helping others discover the show so they can join us on this transformative journey. 
Thank you for being part of the Thrive Beyond Pornography community. Until our next episode, stay strong, stay focused, and keep thriving.